If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast, Season 4, Episode 11. My name is Timitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined once again by Hami Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we also have Jonathan Kuline on the line in Mississauga, Ontario. What up, my boys? See, I thought I'd mix it up there, you know. What up? The sky is up. That's what my old uh, vice principal teacher used to say. I bet he was a lot of fun. He was, yeah, he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rest (laughs) in peace. He was a lot of fun. Anywho, um, yeah, so I have some fact check for you folks. Uh, first of all, Annie Wershing was in Enterprise Season 1, Episode 20 as Liana. Now, I watched that episode the other day. I fired it up on Crave to watch it because I had no, I'd like you said, I had no recollection of it. And it's funny because I, I just I read a, uh, saw a headline today, but I didn't watch it that, um, what's the name of the guy who plays Jonathan Archer? Oh, Scott Bakula. Scott Bakula was saying, he was explaining how... 9-11 changed the tone of Enterprise. And I remember, I remember I complained about that at the time, that oh, you yeah. know, all of a sudden it became a war, war, war trek, right? Anyway, because um, it was much more science-y and that kind of stuff in the first one. Anyway, so this was part of the science-y sort of stuff. And um, Rene, I don't know how to say his last name, Rene Ojemois, how do you say his name? Aubergeois. Aubergeois. Okay, so he, he Odo, as, also known as, um, he was the uh, mad scientist in this one. He mm. plays Ezrael. Um, and uh, the plot of this uh, episode was based on The Tempest by William Shakespeare, but mm. it's also the same plot as in Forbidden Planet, The Cage, you know, the first uh, pilot for... Star Trek, the original series, and also Requiem for Methuselah in the original series, uh, season three, episode 19. And according to Rene Unpronounceable, uh, it was also the plot of Shadow Play on DS9, season two, episode 16. So it's basically, you know, the, the story is that, you know, this Tucker meets this really, you know, attractive girl and sort of, you know, falls madly in love with her. Kind of doesn't really fall madly in love with her, but has affections for her. They they find this shipwrecked planet that's been, you know, shipwrecked for like three years or something like that. There's a whole bunch of people on it. 
and this man and his daughter turns out that all the people on it are holograms because they can't find any life signs right they're all holograms and the engineer who is played by Rene he's invented these people to entertain and educate his daughter mm. based on people that were on the ship right same sort of plot as before so it's um in requiem for methuselah I, it's i think it i think that was the one where they implied he was um leonardo da vinci in the future kind of thing like and he never dies he just keeps inventing stuff over and over again mm. and he made this this uh, robot girl that you know who thinks that she's alive and whatever i may get that may have that plot wrong it may be a whole nother fact check coming in folks buckle up but yeah just generally this sort of i mean obviously done first by shakespeare um you know this sort of you know mad scientist and his daughter kind of story you know um and this sort of and the thing is like they, they weren't shipwrecked on the the uh three they sort of they weren't attacked or destroyed or whatever they were actually the engineer guy made a mistake and ended up killing all of his friends and um so he he you know basically rebuilds them as holograms that's the plot of the story but Anywho, but coming back to Annie Wershing, who also is going to be playing the Borg Queen on Picard, which is why I'm going here. She also played uh, on an FBI FBI agent, Renee Walker, on 24. I don't know if you, either of you two guys watched 24. Not ever. I did not. Not ever. No. Yeah, I, I watched a few episodes, but yeah. So much for that. So that's her. Um, I mentioned last week, uh, I was talking about The Walking Dead, and I mentioned Norman Reedus and all the people who are, you know, who are fans of The Walking Dead no longer listen to Spotcast because I should have known, I should have been able to say that that was Daryl, or Daryl, you know. Yeah. So Norman Reedus Wait, plays Wait, your other brother, Daryl? Yeah, his other brother, Daryl. Yeah. Right. yeah. And uh, Juno Temple plays Keely Jones on um, Ted Lasso. Yeah. And interestingly enough, I watched a bit of uh, some of the IMDb stuff that Hannah Waddington, Waddingham, as Rebecca Walton, she plays the owner of the, of the football team. I, a question for you guys, do you know what other notable role she played? Uh, oh, I, I know her a little bit from, the, I put a little response in there, but yeah, she was, uh, she was in uh, Wicked and she's also on, currently on Sex Education on Netflix. Oh, is she? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Anything else? She was the I'll give you I'll give you a one word hint. Repent. Oh, she was the uh yeah, she was the yeah. uh the Game of Thrones Game of Thrones woman, right? Yeah. 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 Un you know, unrecognizable as her, really, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. I had to like do a double take. Are you sure? I should probably go back and watch just to be sure. She and she was also in a she also played a role in, in the Twelve Monkeys TV show, but I don't think either of you guys watched that show, so that wouldn't have meant anything mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know oh, her, her, her sort of big claim to fame. She's a, a very famous stage actress in the West End and mm. in London, London. Yeah. Yeah, cool. All right, well, let's move on to the headlines. And, uh, John, you're up first, I guess. Well, I couldn't resist this one. So uh, our friends over at trekmovie.com, who are uh, probably even bigger Star Trek friends than we are, had an interview with uh, Mike McMahon, the showrunner for Lower Decks. And they were talking about some of the quote-unquote backlash that came and controversy that came out of the uh, Mugato Gomato... Uh, tomato potato tomato episode of uh, lower decks earlier this season where uh if you guys recall there was a rather uh risque for star trek scene where uh two of the magato decide that they're going to uh, uh get it on as it were and one of them sits back uh, a third one sits back and watches and starts playing with his 
horn, his sort of unicorn-esque horn on the top on, of these. Horn on his head. On his head, on his, yes. Thank yeah, you very much for the for correction. For listening at home. Appreciate yeah. that, yep. Anyways, so... They uh, they did an interview with uh, with with Mike and he you know they sort of said well you know you had a little little controversy about this racy content you know how are you feeling about this and he said you know you know the other two shows that I work on are Solar Opposites and Rick and Morty so you know there are there are much more strict limits on Lower Decks and you know it, it was a good response he basically said I think Star Trek has always embraced sexuality humanism and all sorts of great stuff when you're making shows like this you're trying to find those limits uh, but even in TNG you've got people tugging on Ferengi ears there's always been that kind of stuff and I think the moment that everybody has been all whipped up about has a Mogato yanking on its horn which comedically is funny it was one of those moments where artists kind of pushed for it and they they made me laugh at the end of the day we're trying to make a show that's star trek but also makes you laugh and i've got to be honest for people that are pearl clutching and freaking out because we had a suggestive moment in an adult animated show it's just falling on deaf ears uh yeah i think i think he's got a good point i didn't realize at the time that there was i guess a little bit of you know people you know as he says pearl clutching about oh my goodness this is very explicit for a star trek show his point is it is a cartoon but it is a cartoon aimed at adults it is meant to be uh boundary pushing it occasionally especially for star trek and i think you probably both of you would agree that you know as far as star trek goes this has pushed the limits uh, pretty far star trek doesn't uh, one of the things we, we sort of criticized before in the past is that it takes itself a little too seriously. And this is the first time that it's in on its own joke. And uh, yeah, I thought this was kind of an interesting uh, controversy. Did you guys, I don't know, I mean, obviously you guys are, you know, not easily offended, but did you guys see any of that backlash or uh, have anything in the moment that, that that sort of occurred to you? I don't think I even noticed, to be honest. You probably we watch this show with such haste that sometimes I guess we don't really notice all. I mean, I know you do, but uh, you notice a lot of stuff that that we don't notice. But yeah, um, I I missed that whole piece. I mean, you know, I, I, so yeah, and I haven't seen anything online about it at all. So yeah, but, yeah, yeah, I think interesting. it's 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 one of those things that if you're old enough to know what's going on, you're probably like to get the joke. You're you're old enough to to sort of know what's going on right like um it's not like a, a like a like a very adult kind of thing right like like it, on the surface level which is it kind of just looks funny right mm. <laughs> and if your kid like went into school and was like doing this on the top of their head and be like what what are these kids <laughs> doing it wouldn't immediately strike anyone as like oh no this is a sexual problem right mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. so i think it works pretty well from from that perspective um and so it's it's kind of like one of those jokes that i vaguely recall from um it was a dreamworks movie i think it was robots with ewan mcgregor as the voice of the main character where yeah, one of the yeah. the lady robots they encounter like a you know older lady they they say oh she has junk in her trunk and she does have a if she was a human big bottom but it literally is a trunk with junk inside of it right like yeah, so it was yeah, one of those like the kids can laugh they're still relatively innocent but if they kind of get it and they understand the adult spin on that the innuendo it's like you're you're kind of old enough to to receive this content you know yeah yeah and, and the thing about this is like i mentioned before uh, if you watch it on crave or i'm sure on what do you watch it on paramount plus um mm -hmm. they don't bleep out there's certain words they do bleep out all the time but like you know 
the f bomb they always bleep but the the s's and stuff like that they let those go but if you watch it on space or not space tv uh C, ctv sci-fi channel they bleep out every potential swear word you know so like i've noticed the difference like i watched it, i watched an episode on crave and then i watched an episode same episode on on space or sorry ctv i, I can't, can't i'm gonna call it space channel but on that <laughs> on that channel which they renamed you know the new hope um the, it it's you know it's the same show and you get the same thing and I, I've noticed the same thing if I listen to if I watch uh, Rick and Morty on iTunes there's no bleeping right and mm-hmm. yet when you watch it on Adult Swim there's tons of bleeping because there's tons of you know profanity right um, and you know it's funny because I don't it, it's funny about the whole thing about bleeping is I, it doesn't lose its impact with me right like when somebody goes into a sentence and you know what's gonna what they're gonna say and it's like you know what was you you were saying the other day about the the mel brooks kind of way of you know oh look at those huge there's a jug of water over there you know uh kind of deal i don't can't do it like you did Jaime, but um you know it, when you bleep the word you're you know the adults in the room can fill it in the kids just hear a bleep right you know mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I I don't know. I think you know, like like we've said before, they they tend people people take Star Trek far too seriously. I think that's the problem, right? And that's what's great about this and Lego Star Wars is that you know it doesn't take it seriously, right? Yeah, too seriously. Yeah, yeah. agreed, agreed. Okay, I saw right. a link in the in the show notes. Uh, I found the Calvin and Hobbes comic that seemed pretty timely. The basic gist of it is uh, the boy Calvin and his uh, possibly imaginary. Uh, pet tiger Hobbs are what? looking Imaginary? at the, what? Uh, the TV listings. And he says, "Hey, this movie has quote adult situations. W- what are adult situations?" And the punchline is Hobbs saying probably things like going to work, paying bills and taxes, <laughs> yeah, taking yeah. responsibilities, <laughs> which is probably the way to look at it. You know, um, those those are truly you no know, euphemism in mind. Those are adult situations. Yeah, for yep. sure. That pretty much nails it. Yep. So next up, uh, we have the Emmy Awards for this week, the Primetime Emmy Awards. And we had gone in, I don't think any of us really had the highest hopes that we were going to see one of our sort of sci-fi fantasy genre things walk out on top. Even though we've had a precedent with things like Game of Thrones, you know, Mandalorian was up for best drama, you know, WandaVision had some nominations. We definitely had some good stuff mixed in there, but I, I got to be honest, I didn't really go in with very high hopes. And even ones where you sort of thought, wow, what an amazing performance, like uh, like Elizabeth Olsen for WandaVision, you know, she was up for best performance in a, in a limited series by an actress against Kate freaking Winslet. So good yeah. luck to that. Hello. Yeah. So as good as we thought she was, she was facing an uphill climb. Anyways, bottom line on this is the Emmys have come and gone and there were zero uh, wins for uh, genre shows in the major categories. Uh, There was lots of wins. Uh, The Mandalorian walked away with, uh, I believe, 14 Emmys. Uh, But they were all in the creative arts, Um, stunt coordination. uh, They were for um, 
special effects, visual effects for makeup, for um, you know, just you know, all the all the more sort of creative side, cinematography, and again, all well deserved. It was it was a really excellent show. But yeah, as far as the main uh, categories, you know, best drama, best actor, best actress, any of that stuff, all those shows got absolutely bupkis. So. I think it's good. I think we got a little bit of a little progress that those shows were acknowledged. And obviously it's a big win for Disney plus to get that kind of recognition. But in the end, uh, full of sound and fury signifying nothing. And speaking of, uh, Hannah Waddingham, she won for best supporting actress in a comedy for Ted Lasso. So good for her. There and then go. Brett Goldstein won for best supporting actor and, uh, best. What wasn't he? Didn't it? Wasn't any win for CGI? That's right. That's right. Uh, a CGI character. A CGI character. And a, and a FIFA character. Yeah. That's, that's right. And uh, and yeah, Jason Sudeikis won and, uh, and the show won for Best Comedy. So yeah, well done for them. But yeah. that was the story is, Jaime, that people think he's a, he's a FIFA character? Yeah. Like from... Oh, okay. Yeah, because I, I haven't seen the, the second season, but I've seen a screenshot, a still from the second season and... There's just something kind of eerie about how he looks like a CGI character from your, you know, FIFA, you know, 2021 video game where they do the little cinematic in the locker room, you know, at halftime to get you immersed, like as if it's a real broadcast. And I can I can sort of see there's just something a little off. I don't know if it's about him. I don't know if it's makeup. I don't know if it's cinematography, but it's it's something. Hmm. It's pretty funny. Oh. Yeah, and and the Emmys between uh, the Crown, Ted Lasso, and I just realized uh, last week tonight with John Oliver, the real mm. key to winning the Emmys is is to include the British, British in some accent, way. Yeah. <laughs> and there's your key yeah. to victory. Yeah. Well, and the funny part of that is that Kate Winslet did win for uh, best performance in a miniseries, That's and she true. was doing an American That's accent true. as a Brit, yeah. which is very yeah. funny. Yeah. Oh. So apparently, you have to do an accent. It doesn't matter which one. Hmm. Interesting. And apparently, uh, you know, Mandalorian accents don't count. Yeah. Uh, we've got the first trailer here for the uh, yet another Tom Hanks movie on, on Apple TV Plus. This time, though, he is um, playing a character in a post-apocalyptic world. So this is Finch. Starts off with a uh, a doggo friend and then builds himself a robo friend. Uh, seems like uh, like it could be pretty interesting. I'm definitely nice. I'm definitely keen for Tom Hanks films in general. Um, Did but, you watch uh, the other one that's on Disney? Uh, Disney Plus, Apple yeah, TV Plus. Yeah, Gray. What's it called? Gray. Yeah, good. Was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is it good? It's good. It's it's tense. Yeah. It's definitely definitely into the um, World War II submarine drama kind of thing. Yeah, dramedy. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no. It's it's definitely it's it's an interesting movie. I mean, it's not. It's not Hunt for Red October, but it's still good. Yeah, I love. I mean, yeah. Bridge of Spies is one that came out a few years back, which, as far as Steven Spielberg movies go, it was lower on the the tier than I think some people were hoping for. But I thought that was a tremendous movie about uh, the Cold War, and and Tom Hanks was really yeah, good. Yeah, I should that watch one. that one. It was good. I really liked it. The one I haven't mm -hmm. seen too is the the one where he's on the road or something like that. He's a hitman or something with his son. Oh, I know the one you're talking about. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I never, never quite made it through that one. He's sort of like a, yeah. Yep. He's a sort of a, a Decker type character, I guess. Right? Mm, mm. Yeah. Mm. Alrighty. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. I, I just saw a trailer for it, with then it had a robot in it. And I'm like, okay, I'm all over it. I'll watch that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it kind of rounds out things because you, 
you know, you had um, Greyhound, which was yeah. the World War II one. Uh, this is not an Apple TV Plus, I don't think, but you had News of the World, where he was in the Wild West, so now he goes into the future. Cool. Next, I have, uh, we're going to lead off with Shang-Chi coming free, uh, he says in air quotes, to all Disney Plus subscribers on November 12th. But that's just only one thing, because this is part of Disney Day, which, besides Shang-Chi, which is, don't get me wrong, that's a huge thing, want to talk more about that. We're also going to get uh, free access to Jungle Cruise, which is currently on uh, premium access, mm-hmm. a Boba Fett origin special, Home Sweet Home Alone, which... I don't know if that's a reboot or a continuation <laughs> of the, 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 the Home Alone cinematic universe. And then uh, new shorts linked to Frozen, Luca, and The Simpsons. So just like a shock ton of, uh, of content coming out that day. Yeah, and they're doing it as another one of those event days, right? It's, it's like Disney Plus Day or something. Because they, yeah, they're, they're, they're doing a whole like reveal part of this too. There's more content that's going to be announced. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is interesting because, uh, unlike Black Widow, which was a simultaneous release in theaters and Disney plus or uh, premium access, um, Shang-Chi has kind of a more traditional, but kind of not, I mean, it's a super accelerated traditional of like in theaters exclusively after that exclusive period is up moving to Disney plus, but not as a premium thing. So it seems like they're drawing the line there of like, nope, this is you know, like as if you you waited long enough to see it for free on your uh, your streaming channel, which is interesting there. So did Scarlett Johansson's lawyers punish Disney enough that they pulled all the sort of leasing to home kind of content? Because it, it, it's kind of sort of what we said last week, right? Do we know? Or is it still being settled there? I think that case is still being settled, but I kind of wonder if they um, buttoned up contracts and stuff for the, the later release stuff, given what had happened with that one. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that, Jaime, because actually there was a story in the Hollywood Reporter a couple of days ago. So because of that suit, apparently um, Bob Chapek, the the Disney CEO, Chapek, 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 said that uh, the standard talent deals for talent are going to be reset, and future agreements will take into account changes to release windows accelerated by the pandemic. So that is sort of out there that this is. This is happening, that they are in, in light of this changing, but they still haven't settled on how that's going to play out as far as her demands for, I, I believe it was $100 million. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there were folks like uh, like me who decided to show their support by uh, buying tickets. In my case, I, for safety reasons, didn't want to go. So I bought a ticket for a showing that was like already on uh, to throw some money. Clearly, they didn't need that because Shang-Chi was a huge success in theaters. So no problem there. People are showing their, their support. We, uh, I guess, fortunately, because we're not going to be spending any more money on Disney, um, you know, Disney Plus premium access, um, we don't have a way to show support, you know, with our dollars uh, for, for Shang-Chi. But I would say, you know, watch the movie again if you already saw it on Disney Plus. Um, if you are not interested in seeing it, but are interested in that kind of content existing, uh, go ahead and put it in the background and turn it on, and that still counts as a stream as far as Disney's concerned, right? They don't really have a clue if uh, if you're actually watching it or not. So do your bit to see this sort of, uh, you know, inclusivity thing continue to happen. Okay. So that being said, I, I wanted to look this up because I know we talked about it last week and we were sort of very happy that it had debuted well and things were performing well. 
but I was just looking up where the numbers are at now. So apparently it has grossed 176.8 million domestic. So that's Canada and the United States. Global gross is now at 288.8 million. So 288.8 million US dollars, which sounds decent, but uh, I'm just reading an article from uh, the mix.net where they're pointing out that if you compare that across the cinematic universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that is the third worst grossing MCU movie of all time. The wow. only two movies that it's ahead of are Incredible Hulk and um, Captain America, the first Avenger, uh, which came back in 2008 and 2011, respectively. And that was sort of before the MCU really got its legs. Those were first first wave movies. And if you factor in inflation, they point out Shang-Chi currently tops only the Incredible Hulk. Because if adjusted for inflation, Captain America, First Avenger actually made more. So it's kind of mixed messages there. Because again, you, you do have to take into account the circumstances. But still, that's that's not good. It's kind of a yeah. weird one. Did when they took that into account, did they re- remove Black Widow's streaming uh, box uh, streaming uh, results? They they went purely on box office for Black Widow. I don't know. I'm looking at it. It actually does mention Black Widow in here, and it says that um, Black Widow is still in theaters, but brought in a mere hundred and eighty thousand dollars this past weekend. But I, that doesn't say. Oh, maybe there's a oh, there's a chart here. Hang on. Weekend comparison, week comparison, overall comparison. Oh, I love this. These guys have really broken things down here. Great podcast. I know, isn't this great? Yeah, you can feel free to feel free to edit this. Edit it. Oh, yeah, trust me, they this this will all go in the can. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious say. about this because um, it's it's in a weird spot, right? It was like for the historians, you know, the the alien species that unearth the. Uh, the digital archives and are listening to this to figure out what humanity was doing at, uh, at this time in 2021. Um, at this particular time, it's not a great time. Uh, things are getting, you know, somewhat better. That's true. We've got vaccinations and stuff, but, um, those have stalled. There's talk of uh, booster shots and stuff. I just don't see like if you're going to go into the theaters, I think you go once to see a movie. You don't go multiple times regardless of how you felt about the film because mm-hmm. it's it's just not worth the the um the risk right you might have calculated the risk that like all right i'm gonna go and see it you know once are you gonna go 10 times like you would for some other movie maybe not right because <laughs> like uh you know we're still in the middle of a pandemic so i kind of wonder how sort of fair it is to to not take that into account when they were analyzing that mm-hmm. right i mean the mm-hmm. fact that it 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 did pretty well for, um, you know, what appears to be first viewing stuff is, is pretty good. Now, repeat viewings and does it have legs for that? Kind of hard to, to untangle that from the pandemic. You kind of want to see what things like um, uh, uh, Venom do, right? That might give us a good barometer. That's it. I mean, we know this fall we're going to get Venom. We're going to get James Bond. We know that there's some decent stuff. Dune is still on the slate. So and and of course the Matrix. So we'll see whether this is you know I, I think you're right, Jaime. I think this is probably a more apt comparison to those performances, not to previous Marvel movies. But it is going to be interesting to see where Marvel's appetite for these 
with with due respect, smaller Marvel movies are given the circumstances of displaying movies now. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if those have a similar pattern of people feel good enough to go out, watch one time, but not enough to do repeat visits for movies. See if they have big opening weekends and then they sort of peter out after that. Well, and especially for, you know, debuting a character like the next Marvel movie is going to be the Eternals. That's another one where you're like, well, there's no built in audience for that other than for an MCU writ large. But Spider-Man's going to do gangbusters and Doctor Strange is going to do gangbusters because those are established characters and people like them and they've already gone on adventures. And so people are bought in already. I think that was one of the challenges for for Shang-Chi. And it was also one of the challenges for the Eternal or will be one of the challenges for the Eternal is how do they how do they motivate you to go to the theater other than just the branding of MCU makes good movies, right? Mm-hmm. Hard to say. All right. Last news thing for the week. We have a name and we have a release date for the third Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them spinoff from the Harry Potterverse movie. Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore is scheduled to mm. hit theaters... On April 15th, 2022, it was initially supposed to come out on July 15th. So it's been moved up a few months. And yeah, apparently we'll be focusing on The Secrets of Dumbledore. Ooh. Yeah. And uh, no Johnny Depp, which is interesting because uh, that's <laughs> uh, he obviously was uh, removed or... Uh, Yes, removed from the project due to some... What character does he play? He was playing uh, Gellert Grindelwald, the the villain. Yeah. He sort of pops up at the very end of the first one, and then he is the sort of central villain in the, oh, in the Mads, second Mads, one. Oh, but Mads Mikkelsen will take over the role. But Mads Mikkelsen yeah. is going gonna, is gonna to take over. Mads Mikkelsen, uh, of course, from, uh, from James Bond and Hannibal. Yeah. So, interesting. Um, I'm, I, always, I always feel how conflicted when they recast actors partway through a a series in some cases obviously it works out you know i think don Cheadle has been a, a very good war machine and roadie in the iron man slash avengers movies uh taking over for terrence howard but it always seems a little incongruous sometimes especially when you when you do a rewatch you're like oh that's right i forgot that that other person played that role <laughs> well that used to happen all the time in in 70s 80s and 90s are we gonna talk about bewitched again no. Oh. Did <laughs> you talk about that? Dick York. The, uh, Dick York. The, the Dick regeneration. Sergeant. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that was that was an odd one. But yeah, no, and well, and the the woman who plays Ginger on um, all the Gill- Gilligan's Island remakes, right? Yeah, that's right. They did uh, end up... Tina getting... Louise played the first one, and then yeah. the rest are... Yeah, somebody Ooh. else in a, in a big <laughs> Tina Louise mig, uh, wig, right? Yeah, but I mean, that kind of stuff happened all the time, right? So... Yeah. Yeah, it no just more... becomes more glaring when they're doing these big, like, I think... Well, Blofeld was always a different dude in, in James Bond, too, it's right? It's true, like... it's true. Although, in, in nowadays, especially, I think, you know, you you get used to them locking in these actors, saying, okay, we're going to do a six-film trilogy, and then, a, you know, all these spin-off parts, so you're going to play a main character in these trilogies, and then, you know, you're going to dip into these other ones, and you sort of get used to these sort of... Re- recurring faces it is unusual to have that circumstance although again i can't say i disagree with the the rationale behind um behind the this particular case so. well yeah but i thought johnny depp had a bad 
couple of years like wasn't there like yes it was a domestic abuse uh, yeah. uh accusation yeah. which so was they proven want to in distance court, himself so. from any question you know oh i think i think from a warner brothers perspective this is uh you know they the movies weren't well terribly well received especially the second one wasn't terribly well received to begin with and they were going to have to do a little bit of rehab to try and make people care there's no i think coincidence as to why this is called the secrets of dumbledore because they want people to be like oh, dumbledore i know dumbledore is you know but is jude law playing him again or uh, yeah i think so yeah okay all right then i'll watch there you as go as long as he's as long as they don't mess up the jump dumbledore guy and play him by two different character two different actors that's yeah. one died that's one yeah. of my favorite uh, uh memes is at what point did dumbledore go from wearing you know elegant bespoke suits in the uh the prequel movies to wearing yeah. the like garish robes with the fez in uh, in the harry potter movies <laughs> at what yeah. point did he just stop caring about his attire yeah well, and then there's the two different portrayals by Richard Harris and, and the other guy, <laughs> um, Gambon, Michael Gambon, who they famously named Gambon's turn in the Top Gun test track. Top Gear, Top Gear. I, top gear, I, do, I, do, I do think we can cut a little slack on that one with Mr. Harris having died and all, you know, it's yeah, not like they well, can do much yeah. about that one. Yeah, they could have rewritten the whole, whole book. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Not at the time. See, it, it, had it occurred a few years later, we could have had Christopher Plummer, right? And then <laughs> if it had gone too far where he had passed away, you know, rest in peace, it could be Dignitaro as, as oh. Dumbledore, right? And then Betty White to fill in when she's got tired. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then Betty White buries that whole cast too. Wait, so what's the, the Tignataro context? That was from uh, the, the Netflix zombie. What was it? Um, Oh, gosh, what was it called? Uh, something of the Dead? Uh, like Vegas of the Dead? Um, no, I know what you mean. The Heist one, of the one, Dead? The, the, the yeah, it was one the Zack guy, Snyder the one, one, wasn't it? No, the one zombie was living and... and uh, it's bugging me. I'm looking at Army of the Dead. Army of the Dead there is, is the one where Chris Delia ran into some, uh, let's say, legal troubles and then got CGI replaced after the fact by Tignataro. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, okay. which is something I would suggested on the internets that they should yeah. have done in jeopardy which went through all this drama <laughs> with its executive producer taking over the show bad things happen they kick them off oh no we already have a competitive show in the can what do we do i said they should just replace them with tignataro and just not even talk about it again just pretend right. it didn't what, happen. What have they done on Jeopardy? Like, is is Mayim Balik going to be a host, or is she going to be a part-time host? She and this? Ken Jennings will take over for the rest of the season. Oh, Ken Jennings, okay. Mm -hmm. right. But they did so, air, no. they, they aired the ones with the uh, the deposed executive producer. That Those those were aired within the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So don't you think that's a little megalomaniacal to put yourself in that, that role? Uh, I think that producer. was, yes, definitely an issue of contention for sure. Right, right. <laughs> All righty. Well, guess what, kids? We're at that part of the show. <laughs> Learning time for kiddos, it says here. Oh, no, I said it's, it's later on. Um, yeah, so we're at the part of the show where we talk about Lower Decks, or a, a Star Trek vehicle in this case. It's going to be Lower Decks, Season 2, Episode 7, Where Pleasant Fountains Lie. And I think Kami is going to do the recap, so off you go. Yeah. Uh... If we were that kind of show, we would have the uh, like masterpiece theater music or something go on here because this this is learning time. So that title, "Where Pleasant Fountains Lie," I looked it up because a lot of these things you just say, you know, the title of the episode, Shakespeare, and see what you get. And I found a good one. So this is a quote from Venus and Adonis by William Shakespeare. 
Let me just read this. It's a handful of lines. Fundling, she say, since I have hemmed thee here within the circuit of this ivory pale, I'll be a park, and thou shalt be my dear. Feed where thou wilt, on mountain or in dale. Graze on my lips, and if those hills be dry, stray lower where the pleasant fountains lie. My goodness. Yeah. Saucy. Saucy. Yeah, yeah. Saucy from five to six hundred years ago. Uh, This will be important contextually for this episode. (laughs) Yeah. So we start right in the uh, the thick of things with the Cerritos crew finishing up saving a planet from an evil computer, which had tricked the people into fighting a hundred year to fighting a hundred year war as they are wont to do. This is a, a common TOS trope for sure, right? Oh yeah. Um, so this is uh, Lord Ag- Agamus, I think is how they pronounced it. Yep. Um, I think voiced, and I did not check, but it certainly sounded like Jeffrey Combs to me. It was, yeah. I did check, and it was, yeah. Okay, okay. So my my ears were good. So um, Lord Agamus is being wheeled away by Commander Ransom, and he uh, tries to flatter Ransom into connecting him into the computer. And say no, no, no! Don't do that. That's that's just what he does. He's trying to to trick you there, right? Oh, okay. Let's let's pack him up, take him away, because he is a a sentient being, so he does have some rights. They're not just gonna smash him to bits like something out of like Office Space, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we go uh, back to the Cerritos, where I wrote Queen Piolana. Um, I'm sure we can find the name, but basically, the the queen of the species we're about to meet today has. Uh, called upon and requested aid from the Cerritos. And in particular, they need Chief Engineer Billups's abilities. And oh, by the way, he happens to be her son. Cut to the uh, the intro theme, right? So we've, we've got the setup there. Uh, when we come back from the intro theme, the lower deckers are in their, uh, their bunks, uh, talking about how phaser rifles are uh, different or not from regular phasers. What is the and- difference, Jaime? <laughs> here they claim it's like well one's two-handed the other's not which is <laughs> i suppose true i guess you know battery packs differences you know uh, you could probably last longer with a phaser rifle but maybe it hypothetically can can pump out more juice right because it's a it's a it's a larger device but practically speaking it's not like you're getting a larger caliber right this isn't like a a hand pistol versus you know a bazooka yeah, in retrospect, if you think back to all the shows, you never see them firing like a wider beam or a different dispersal pattern. It's just the same exact effect. It's just on a, a longer handheld versus a, a longer device, you know, kind of disappointing. Yeah, you would think the rifle would be the equivalent of, um, you remember the movie Predator, the original Predator, yeah. with Jesse the Body Ventura walking out with the the minigun as he's yeah. tearing up the 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 jungle with a hailfire of bullets. <laughs> that's that's what you would think the phaser rifle, but, but no, it kind of shoots even like a regular phaser. Just a wide dispersal blast, like a shotgun or something. You know, you'd think there would be some benefit, but it's a, again, it's a perfect trope. Is I love how these guys dissect these things, right? Yeah, they start asking the questions that we all want the answer to. Um, they don't answer it here, but it is, you know, asked at least. Uh, either way, uh, Boimler is excited for a mission involving giant centipedes, just, you know, like he did back on the Titan, as he, he mentions his, uh, his, his uh, time away there. Uh, but he's disappointed because he gets reassigned to a cargo mission, right? Um, so, oh, that's, that's terrible. Not fun. So come back later. Uh, we cut over to the Cerritos, rendezvousing with the alien uh, species ship. 
Billups, the chief engineer, says, you know, don't fall for any of the Queen's tricks. He had apparently given up the, the Ren Fair, or Renaissance Fair if you prefer, life by abdicating the throne to join Starfleet. That only stays true as long as he is a virgin. Yeah. <laughs> so a weird, yeah. weird concept for uh, the, the duty that he needs to take on. Uh, the, the Queen arrives in engineering to talk about their, quote, dragon breath engines breaking down. Uh, we'll, we'll learn more about that. It, it sounded weird, but it fits in with the Ren Fair concept, right? Uh, Separately, Rutherford is uh, nervous about the assignment because he's been tasked to, to join, you know, diagnosing what this problem is. But Tendi, in particular, pushes him to go outside of his comfort zone. They're like, yay, you can do it. Go get it done, right? We cut over to Mariner and Boimler. They're in their shuttle en route. And as happens in Starfleet, you hit a gravimetric shear and you crash land on the planet, right? And but luckily is... you can breathe there. Yes, you, you, luckily there's no like, oh, we got to hang on to the EV suits unless it's like specifically part of the plot, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and this planet does have a, a bunch of other crash ships, so they're, you know, not unique in this respect. Unfortunately, Mariner has a fractured arm and they're outside of comms range. Um, they do have a replicator, but apparently it's made by the Dutch because it only provides black licorice, which <laughs> the Dutch love, apparently. Um Side note, I do know this because I had a boss many years ago who was from the Netherlands and mm -hmm. he, he was chowing down on that stuff and he explained to me that like the Dutch do do enjoy themselves in black licorice. Yeah, I have a friend who's Dutch and same deal. Every year for Christmas they get in a just disgusting, but they loved it. Tastes like poison, <laughs> as they say in the episode. <laughs> not wrong, not wrong. Um uh, Another one who survived the, the wreckage is Lord Agamus, who is asking for help. And, oh, you know, you can connect me to the ship and I can help check things out. Again, he's trying to trick them into getting the, the connectivity that he wants. Back on the rare the Renfair ship, um, Phillips and Rutherford arrive. And it is very Renfair with, you know, masterpiece portraits and people, you know, dressed like as if they're in a Renaissance fair. And a lot everything. of huzzas. A lot of huzzas. Mm -hmm. And everything is renamed to sound like magic. So the dragon breath engines is like how oh, they, they talk about their, their warp engines, right? And their, their warp corn, etc. And uh, Billups and Rutherford are looking into the problem. He's like, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. This can't possibly be. And the queen says, oh, is this problem beyond you? You know, hinting, you know, give up. You know, you're not good at this. You should come be king. He's like, no, no, no. I just need to run a full diagnostic from the bottom up and he's got this background comment passing comment from one of the guards is like i'd like to run your full <laughs> diagnostic from my bottom up <laughs> very, speaking of again, dirty lines so, in this show very salacious which is why i took the time to to read out the lengthy shakespeare quote because it, that, that was your hint right there in the title if you do right yeah um Back on the planet, uh, Lorik Agamus scans Boimler and tries to scare him into complying. Oh, you're like not looking too good. And oh, I can help things out. Again, he's doing his thing. Meanwhile, uh, a beast on the planet attacks the crew. They scramble and go hide in the shuttle while the beast is chowing down at the emergency rations, which is making life worse for them, right? They were already in a bad situation. In the they still have the replicator, though, right? So they can make all the licorice. That's they want. right. As long as they want licorice, they're fine. <laughs> yeah, they're running out of water, but the black licorice is bountiful. And, and in the confusion, Lord Agamus has done a data transfer from one of the pads 
you know, P-A-double-D pads, kind of like a, like an old school iPad, um, in there. And he's, he's pulled down some data related to, um, uh, to Boimler and that will come into play later. Um, you know, after they figure out that they're running out of water, they say, all right, well, let's, we're going to have to go into the desert of this creatures here. There must be water of some sort for them to survive and go find it. Uh, Boimler decides to put the, the computer in a bundle, uh, kind of like a, like a baby swaddle, um, attached to you. Like a pupusa, not a pupusa, a pupusa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makeshift one. Uh, they do end up finding some edible fruits, and Boimler and Mariner fight about who should climb to get the fruits because normally that's a Mariner thing. But she's, you know, she's injured, and Boimler's throwing out, "Oh, we did this thing like like all the time, and like I was rock climbing on the Titan again, bringing bringing up his uh, his time away." Um, in the uh, in the kerfuffle, uh, you know, Boimler. Does a boiler thing, falls off the tree, he's angry at Mariner and like rubbing his face. He kicks the uh, he doesn't kick the tree, he kicks like a like a rocket piece or some or some sort of debris that's connected to the tree, which actually shakes the tree and causes fruit to fall you know that they wanted and they go munch and they're like, oh my god, it still tastes like black licorice. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and they're, they're, they're getting a little tired of Lord Agamemnon, so they like bury him in the sand as, uh, as Mariner had, uh, had suggested earlier, but he very quickly ends up getting kidnapped by crabs and they, you know, they save him. Um, and, and Boimler gets shown a video of, uh, you know, what had happened and, and why he had gotten reassigned from the cool assignment and this, you know, less cool assignment. And it turns out that uh, Mariner had been telling Ransom, they're like, oh yeah, just do me a solid. Like, he's, he's not ready for this. You should uh, not have him on that mission. You should have him on this other mission. So she, uh, you know, she went behind his back and, uh, and hurt his, uh, you know, his uh, career abilities there. And so, of course, understandably, Boimler's angry that Mariner thinks he's not up to the big stuff, right? He's like, what the heck, man? It's not helping. Uh, Mariner's like, look, you're, you're not ready for it. You're, you're getting, you know... Um, you're falling for this this computer's tricks and everything, and she walks away with Lord Agamus. That's kind of where we leave them for a little bit. We switch over to uh, Rutherford and Billups. They find the problem with the engines. Huzzah! They've solved the problem. Billups gets a, a a call from Captain Freeman, which apparently was just a ruse to give him a chance to get away from his mother. And dun dun dun! There's an explosion on the Renfair ship, right? And uh, supposedly the Queen was killed. You know they they show her tattered uh, uh scarf or something some, some piece of her uh, her clothing and we go over to um sick bay where dr tana lets tendy know that there was an accident and um you know unfortunately rutherford was killed did you guys buy that for at all, like even a second i no, i didn't on. i was like this 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 feels like a setup right yeah a convenience <laughs> that they oh, wanted yeah. the sun there and yeah and you have uh you have her dying and, and leaving a, a gaping hole in the the hierarchy so i knew something was up here right um uh, but the characters don't know yet we go back down to the planet we've got uh mariner boimler and lord agamus they find a ship that does have an intact engine there's a disagreement about whether or not they should let Lord Agamemnon get his danglies into a computer, which results in a fistfight, and eventually Mariner saying, you don't have the guts to face me, but he did. <laughs> she gets knocked unconscious by uh, the phaser blast, and Boimler takes the, the computer over to the sentient computer over to the ship. We are back on the Cerritos, where um, Billups 
is talking to Captain Freeman, and he is resigning from Starfleet to take his place as king and perform the royal copulation. <laughs> and, and they even do like a thing with his hair, where like you know his his hair changed, but they just kind of waved their hands through it, ran you know yeah. ran a comb through it almost. And I, I love that scene it. just because as he's resigning, he's got two people next to him. One of them is styling his hair, the other one putting a putting a sash on him, and they're just dressing him up like yeah. a king, like on the spot. Yeah, they're going to yeah. take him away. And as they're taking him away, he says, will it hurt? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, over elsewhere on the Cerritos, I can't remember if this is sickbay or some other hallway or something. Uh, Tendi can't believe that Rutherford is dead. And she asks the computer for his location and coincidentally discovers that his cybernetic implant is still on the ship. And she's like, oh, at least there's still a part of him still around, right? And we go retrieve that. Uh, we switch over to the planet and you know Mariner wakes up from being stunned uh Lord Agamus is inside with Boimler um on the, the the wrecked ship with the intact engine he says hey you know I can get things online you just need to connect me and Boimler's like um, all right let me try doing it oh um I can't open the thing that has the, the little hatch that has the access port we need some power and Lord Agamus is like oh bro that's fine just use my battery right so he gets connected up and scary takeover stuff happening as uh, Lord Aaron was like, ha ha ha, <laughs> yes, this is what I wanted. I'd wanted to be connected to, uh, you know, to the nav console to take over the computer on the ship. Meanwhile, uh, Tendi does locate Rutherford still alive, feasting along with the queen and many others on the ship. And they're, they're cheering to Billups destroying his virginity as they speak. <laughs> so the, the plot is, is, is laying, you know, uh, laid bare here. And uh, Rutherford, you know, per his training, tries to, to communicate with the ship to let things know. And the comms are being blocked by a minstrel or bard, if you prefer, uh, <laughs> strumming away with their, their Renfair technology. And uh, he's like, all right, I've, I've got to escape and get over there. He's like, he's got to manually tell uh, Billups what's going on here and the Queen's like, this it's too late. My guards are trained from birth to skip four blades. There's not <laughs> enough time. <laughs> so, you know, Rutherford's trying to leave the ship as the uh, the deed is about to start, we see in the uh, in the uh the, the quarters, uh, presumably of Billups's quarters. He's there with the the two guards. Uh you know, fun action Male happens. Guard and a female guard, just for those who are driving at home. That's true. That's true. There's a nice moment of of queer representation in there. They're, they're not. They're just leaving the options open for for Billups. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, through this action scene, eventually uh, Rutherford does show up, sees the uh, the guards, and asks, uh, "Did did did his kingdom come?" <laughs> we find that no, because Billups was. Um, Nervous, let's say, in the uh, in the bathroom, he, trying to he hadn't been trained talk. to avoid foreplay. Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, he wasn't warmed up and ready to go. Right. Um, we smash cut back over to the planet where Lord Agamus reigns, and it's going to take over the sector with his drones. And murder drones, murder drones, murder drones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, or not. As it turns out, Boimler has been using. Lord Agamus's power cell to send a distress signal. So uh, you aren't anywhere near the nav console. You just control the dimmer switch, <laughs> right? <laughs> Mariner's impressed by this tricky, like, whoa, you're, you're the, uh, the, the sentient megalomaniac, right? And Lord Agamus oh, is like, oh, I shall blind you. And then 
Yes. The, the greatest line. You've been boimed. <laughs> been boimed. Uh, and, I, love and, that uh, that's a, I love that that's a verb now. <laughs> You've been boimed. <laughs> Lord Agam is not happy and, you know, angrily proclaims that he shall blind you and then like flicks the switch on the dimmer switch on the lights repeatedly on and off, repeatedly yeah. on and off. as we're uh, beginning to wrap things up here you've got billups you know confronting his mother in engineering and proudly proclaiming he'll be a virgin for the rest of his life uh bringing it into to that plot line uh tendy wrapping things up with rutherford and she's apologizing about pushing him beyond his boundaries and he says no i'm like totally happy like i had this cool thing and it was fun and they kind of discuss of like how there guess there will be times where it seems you have died and oh well that's starfleet that's Starfleet. (laughs) just tuesday so it's like this weird um you know foreshadowing of like you know there's definitely at least one way connection between these two right it's kind of hard to tell how much beyond friendship uh tendy and rutherford will go but it certainly seems like Tindy was very concerned um, uh, about his well-being and, and seems hesitant about, you know, him being in the line of fire. You know, save that for a later episode, perhaps. We'll, we'll come back to this. Meanwhile, we've got uh, Boimler Mariner saved uh, by a rescue ship as uh, Lord Agamus you know, claims he'll, he'll be good. He's, he'll be fine. He's, you see, he's already deleted his manipulative subroutines, and maybe he, can, <laughs> he wants you to join Starfleet, and they can put him in the Academy, and he could be like the new Seven of Nine, Agamus of <laughs> One. And Instead, he's taken to the Daystrom Institute, where he is put in the self-aware megalomaniac computer storage. He starts ranting and raving, and he's interrupted by all the other self-aware megalomaniac computers in storage <laughs> that that disagree with him and there's the yeah. end i would the i end. really wish that they had preemptively put it in an easter egg in the first season of picard where they just walk by and you see that sign on the wall at the daystrom institute yeah <laughs> we should cgi it into the background right oh, <laughs> like, so good when he was at the institute talking to uh juardi yeah. i can't remember how her last name jordan um, yeah, you know, just just put that. It doesn't even have to be in focus. Just like, dude, there's totally like computers back there <laughs> on a shelf, the shelves. Yeah. So kind of kind of unique this this episode. This one, um, it definitely leans into a lot of uh, of Star Trek tropes. Mm-hmm. Uh, tons of them. Definitely a lot of TOS ones here, um, and yet also feels a little like this one felt more rick and morty ish than i think a lot of the other episodes do <laughs> this one leaned pretty pretty heavily into the the more risque side of things yes yeah this, it's funny we just had that conversation about the mugato gomato episode and and the the sort of sauciness of that this one definitely also walks tiptoes across that line a few times and tiptoes back in a very very humorous way I, again it's it's so funny because you know they as as mike mcmahon made in that uh, point in that article you know star trek's not chased certainly especially the original series i mean uh captain kirk was sleeping with every uh, woman that he could get near but it's funny to sort of see how you know uh outside of its comfort zone that can be for star trek when you see it hypersex hypersexualized hyper hyper uh realized in this way yeah, it's kind of fun how, like, this probably would have felt tonally very different if this was a live-action show. Oh, yeah. I do think that, that animation gives them some boundaries that they can they can tow and cross over a few times, and it feels totally fine and, and tonally uh, okay. 
Do you guys think it's interesting that they have continued to keep bringing it back around to Mariner and Boimler and the tension over the Titan now that we're seven episodes into season two? Like, are they are they still is there something more there there or is this just it feels like they're really kind of not letting this go. And I wonder if that's deliberate because they're sort of getting somewhere with it. Feels like it's deliberate, right? Just like they're they're putting Tendi and Rutherford together in what appears to be foreshadowing of a romantic relationship, mm-hmm. or at least attempt in their case. I'm unclear if it would be a romantic thing or more of a um, uh, almost like a sibling rivalry and a bit of of tension, right? Where like Boimler was kind of the the sibling that went you know out of state or out of province to school and uh, left their buddy behind. Mm-hmm. So they could mm-hmm. go that route with them, but it does feel like there's something there because it is like, like they. It seemed like they resolved the you know is Boimler going to stay on the Titan thing way earlier in the season than I assumed having seen the the season trailers, mm-hmm. and and yet it's not gone. It's not like they just you know wipe their hands clean of it. They're actually seeming to make it be part of um, kind of both characters. So Boimler is using it as his like you know uh, what did Mariner describe it like his. Uh, his study abroad assignments that he did that he can't shut up about. And then you have the Mariner side of it where she seems like unreasonably upset and emotional about what was clearly a career move. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they also played on that other idea that when, um, Agamus says she's more than she seems. And they've been playing that one quite a bit, you know, and then of course, you know, she's more than she seems. And they just drop a line that, sort of says because you were kind of wondering are they going to go there you know like there's more going on with her like the you know the two episodes ago or three episodes ago where they had her this you know black ops kind of you know person right yeah like how much of that is is real or not um given that they've hinted several times that that there's more and we learn more about the mysterious uh mariner background right mm-hmm. yeah yeah well i think it's natural that they would sort of have I mean, it's the Sam and Diane thing again. You know, they just, they play, they put two characters together and there's there's always going to be this dynamic tension, right? Whether, you know, I think we put our, we put our bias onto that. I don't think it's necessarily played at. And so they, they can sort of write in, you know, lines into the story and emotions into the story that make us, you know, buy into that, right? Yeah. Um, I, like, you know, they're, bas- they're basically colleagues in the same job, right? And there's, you know, the lower decks of the ship, but... You know, in both cases, like in Rutherford and Tendi and and Boimler and Mariner, like you know, is it is it a pairing or not? Right? Yeah, I gotta be honest. I I think this far in, obviously, the show. Hopefully, it runs for quite a while. But I can't be disappointed. I mean, Tendi and and Rutherford maybe, but I kind of think I'd be disappointed if Mariner and Boimler ended up as a couple. They're so much better as sort of that sibling rivalry kind of dynamic. Well, you know, that's what ruined Cheers. To be honest with you, if, if you if you I remember watching Cheers in the early days, and there was always that sort of tension, and and then when when Sam and Diane finally did hook up, it it just like it ruined it, right? I mean. Yeah, I mean, I didn't find that one as egregious as the, it was, uh, Moonlighting was the one, right, back in the 80s. Yeah, that That was the one that absolutely got destroyed by, when they finally got together, you were like, but that was what the whole show was, was the will they, won't they, and when they did, you were like, and now who cares? But, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like these two characters are way more fun as sort of big sister, little brother, 
rivals, you know, I'm gaining experience, I've got experience, you're on your way somewhere, I'm jealous that you've actually got a, a purpose, kind of, it's it's way more fun than will they, won't they fall in love, right? Yeah, and I wonder if this will be less like Moonlighting, uh, which was Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard, I think. It was, yeah. yeah. Um, and maybe more like, um, like Frasier with uh, with Roz, right? They do hook up mm-hmm. kind of late in the series, and they're like, oh, this is like this is a mistake, right? We shouldn't have let that happen. Yep. And yeah, it didn't fundamentally change the show because the show wasn't about that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I've always hated that as the the moral on television. It feels like it's it's something that you get to when you realize you don't have anything else to do with your characters. But I hate the notion that that every show eventually says that men and women can't just be friends. That that right. seems to be mm-hmm. the punchline to so many of these circumstances that like, you know, I've had like lifelong female friends, you know, we're never going to sleep together. That's not what this is about. We're just about being friends. And so many of these shows, you know, for years and years and years, they have their own dynamics, but eventually they're going to hook up and you're like, but that's not how life works. Right. Yep. Indeed. Indeed. Interesting. Shall we move on to what if? What if Thor was an only child? What if Thor was an only child? And why is Loki so giant? Well, because he's a frost giant. Indeed. So, but we, is he a frost giant in real life? Yeah. Yeah, you got to go back to the first Thor movie where they cover how Odin somehow ended up with a frost giant child. I don't know if he absconded with one or, or discovered one. He, he basically took him as a, as a, 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 a hostage, more or less, so that uh, Laufey, the the king of the of the frost giants, wouldn't uh, you know continue to wage Attack war. The or yeah. yeah, like uh, Theon Greyjoy was taken as as semi hostage oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. by the Starks. Yep. yep. So why why is he Theon size? Why isn't he like in in this version? He's much taller. Tim, yeah. you're asking the wrong question because he is by heritage a frost giant. What you should be asking is. When we normally see Loki, why is he so tiny That's and micro-sized? I think the idea is that uh, he is supposed to have been enchanted by uh, by Odin to, to basically be, be a, a... And not be blue. <laughs> an Asgardian by all identity. But we actually do see his skin turn blue in, uh, in the original Thor movie. And he oh, yeah? starts to understand who, what his real heritage is and everything. Oh, okay. Right. But yeah, so for those of you who for those of you confused by where we're going with this, the, the the plot line is that what if they didn't adopt Loki and Thor ends up growing up as a single child with all this you know money and splendor and whatever, and he ends up being a typical as they played out you know rich boy jerk, right? He's the party god. He's the party god, yeah. Yeah, this was a real, it's funny, we've been talking about how the first two episodes were sort of more light in spirit, and the last uh, four episodes had all been pretty grim, and this one regains that very light spirit again. It's, you know, Thor basically shows up on Earth while his his father is asleep and his mother is on uh, a well-earned vacation. He basically takes all of his drinking buddies the the warriors three lady sif and you know all the ne'er-do-wells that they've accounted uh, encountered across the galaxy and brings them to earth for 
like an epic party to Midgard, yeah, to Midgard, yeah, and you know, and so from there we get like cameos galore. We get Howard the Duck again. We get mm -hmm. uh, Jeff Goldblum as the Grandmaster, mm -hmm. uh, Nebula, Drax, Mantis, Yondu, Skrulls. Uh, you know, everybody comes down for this this huge bender on Earth. And against that are, are Jane Foster, who which was actually Natalie Portman. And, right, and Kat uh, Dennings. Yeah. And yeah, Kat Dennings is Darcy. And, and Chris Hemsworth. And Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, no, it's a good it's a good voice cast in this one uh, all in. And of course, Hiddleston was back and, and, uh, and Sam Jackson. And anyway, so uh, they the two of them are basically trying to figure out, you know, Jane is just like in the original Thor movie. She's smitten and, and falling in love with this, this charming and good looking uh, Hemsworth Hemsworth-esque uh, animated character and you know meanwhile she's also trying to figure out oh is, is he actually a danger what's going to happen and, uh, and and so sure enough it starts to turn from you know an epic party in Las Vegas into a party pandemic right it, it's spreading across mm -hmm. the earth and parties are breaking out everywhere they they're, you know, doing tricks on the top of the Sydney Opera House. They've ripped up the St. Louis Arch to use as a giant slingshot. Uh, <laughs> Nick Fury ends up getting wiped out by Korg at one point by accident. Yep. And, um, yep. and well, Colby Smothers was also doing the, the voice of... That's right, yeah. Yeah, what's her name? Um, oh, she's Maria Hill. Her? Maria Hill, yeah. And she's she acting acting chief of S.H.I.E.L.D.S. or whatever. Yeah, right? that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, and we even get a very funny uh, um, searcher trying to pick up Lady Liberty in uh, in uh, Manhattan Harbor there. Yeah, and melting her. And yeah. melting her arm off, yeah. Uh, so the the in order to try and find a way to stop this, Maria Hill decides to call in the big guns and, and presses the giant, uh, the, the button on the pager from uh, from Captain Marvel and uh, Captain Marvel returns to Earth and we end up with Captain Marvel versus Thor going, you know, three or four rounds around the Earth. He's just sort of saying, you know, oh, you're a party pooper and you're, you're ruining my party. And in the end, the uh, the punchline is that they <laughs> they have to, uh, they threaten basically to call his mom. And so they call in his mom and as she's on her way to, to Midgard to catch him in the act, he and the rest of the gang have to uh, have to tidy up like kids after a house party. And uh, yeah, it's it's pretty, pretty funny episode, pretty sort of fun and lighthearted. And again, even through a cartoon, Hemsworth is extremely charming and funny. Goldblum gets in some great lines uh, as a joke. Uh, Darcy and Howard the Duck getting married in Vegas was pretty funny. Um, it, but the last scene continues mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. trend that we've seen over the last episodes. And we've been talking about trying to find the thread. And it seems like the thread is that no matter how these things play out, there's sort of this punchline of, and then it all goes wrong. And in this case, the last thing we see is what looks to be a vision Ultron wielding the infinity gems invading the earth and yeah this, and, uh, this is yeah. okay so we've got two episodes left of this season mm -hmm. clearly there's a crossover of some fashion coming whether it's you know the last two parts or the last single part i am very curious to see how they're going to bring this together now i mean there is a thread we're now starting to see it i wonder where this goes you guys have any thoughts mm. Well, these are all multiverse stories, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't like they're not gonna. They may they may cross over, but uh, I mean the whole idea of multiverse is multiple 
plot lines, right? It's true, but it seems like maybe there's a thread I mean, weaving through these. Sort of the, the aspect of fate that something is like there. There's a, a certain timeline that's going to like like it was was it uh, the Loki show or um, yeah Loki's show had this sort of there. There's this this um, immutable time you know time elements that can't be changed. That's right. right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, maybe, maybe that's part of it, right? Like it was the Doctor it, it, Strange you know, the one, right? The it was the fact that uh, his uh, girlfriend dies, and that can't be changed because if it's changed, he can't right. be Doctor Strange. If he can't be Doctor Strange, he can't stop the Ramu. If you remember and, in, in the Loki, yeah. like the second, the second to last episode, yep. they show him the timeline, and there's like no matter what they do, there's always this sort of like part where things just fall apart. Yep. You know, no matter no matter how they try to control it, right? So yeah. Interesting. Again, I like this episode. That was fun. And it was nice after a series of heavies to have one that wasn't all that. Uh, although, again, the ending does leave a lot of, of interesting time for speculation over the next week. But I, I really enjoyed this episode. I laughed. Uh, again, I think all the cameos were a lot of fun. I, I thought this was great. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, it's interesting if you wa- when you watch the beginning of the, of the, the show... And you you know you see the comic book pages flipping, and then you start to see you know Jeffrey Hunter talking, and and um, you see the names of the of the people who are going to be in the show, and you're like, oh, you immediately know that these characters, even like you see Taika Waititi, and you know he's going to be in the show, right? You know, and you see Natalie Portman and Kat Jennings, and you know that they're going to play what role they're going to play. There's no surprise there, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and whereas. You I I almost kind of want to not know who's going to show up and just have them show up, you know? Yeah, and I think that was kind of the the fun of this episode was because it was the big party. It was just who's going to show up next and what's going to happen, yeah. and you know yeah. how how crazy yeah, is it going to get? There's a there's a um, uh, couple of books that um, so so Heinlein wrote a book. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it now. I can't remember what it is, but. But it starts out where these these people are, you know, they have these cars they can jump in and they they fly from planet to planet and that kind of stuff. And they end up, they discover that how to how to they f- discover this tool kind of like the flux capacitor where they can rotate it and change into different multiverses, right? And um, so that's the first thing they do is they go to a multiverse and they end up on Mars or the Moon or something, and it's it's occupied. The British have occupied it, and they don't have airplanes; they have ornithopters, right? Mm. Um, all this kind of stuff. And, and as this, the story goes, uh, at one point they end up in this one, um, universe where all of Heinlein's characters are alive hmm. and they all know each other and they're all at this big party. Right. Hmm. You know, so as you, if you read, you know, if you had read all of, you know, the books up to that point, you would have seen the, you would have seen the, the, you know, you would recognize all the characters that were at the, at this sort of big feast, kind of like this episode. Right. Um, kind of an interesting twist on the and the idea, and the idea is that all these characters who are were written by Heinlein know that they were written by Heinlein. Hmm. That's funny. Right? So it's kind of fun, fun little twist there. Yeah, multiverse stuff is can be fun. Yeah. Oh, show. It might have been called Number of the Beast. Now that I think about it. Yeah. Anywho, all right. And the other thing we talked, we we I think we all dipped into at least episode one of Star Wars Visions, which came out. The, the, interesting that they dropped all the episodes at once. I think one of our fans of the show mentioned that on on our Slack channel. Um, that yeah, it's kind of and I think you guys were sort of thinking, oh, I have to sit and watch all of it, right? Yeah, I, I looked at it uh, as this was going to be a sort of a bridge thing because I I was trying mm. to figure out what sort of the next thing is, and I know we're not getting Hawkeye for a little while. It's not coming out till November. I was trying to figure out 
you know, sort of what the next Disney plus thing is in the short term. And I, so I assumed going into this, that that was going to fill that, that void. It is interesting because they had been doing so many of those, uh, the Disney plus Marvel shows, the Disney plus star Wars shows have been week to week episodic. Uh, this is obviously a different format. They're, they're different lengths, the different episodes, some of them are as brief as, you know, uh, 10, 12 minutes. And I think there's a couple of them that are closer to 20. So, and, and all in, I think there's, what, eight episodes in a grand total of, like, two hours and change. So, yeah, it's interesting that they've chosen to do it this way. But is this because, I was just thinking, like, is this is this animatism? Because other shows, um, like the Robots one, the, the Dreaming Robot one that I watch on Netflix. Oh, Love um, and Robots? Or? Uh, is it Love and Robots? Yeah. The Love, Death and Robots or something like hmm. that, right? Um, but the, the idea that this kind of, these kind of short stories can't be, like, people wouldn't stand for it if we only presented one per week or two per week or whatever. Like, the longer hour-long formats, they seem, and, like, what I mean is, would it be engaging enough for people to come back and watch, you know, as they drop each episode? Like, or do they think that they need to drop them all at once, as they've done here, right? Um, and again, that's also because of the length, too, right? They're they're short, you know, dim-sum-sized, you know, bits, right? Yeah, yeah, and I, I guess it suits the you know whatever suits the story, right? They the the length, the you know the animation style seemed to vary episode to episode. I so to clarify yeah. for our, our listeners, Tim, you've watched one, I've watched two, and and Jaime's watched three, uh, mm-hmm. and you know even just the two that I've watched, that the animation style shifts pretty dramatically. I'm sure Jaime will confirm that it probably shifts again for for the third episode. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah I, I don't know i mean you probably could have done it i mean the you know you think that the obvious comparison is the animatrix right a animatrix yeah a variety well, also of heavy metal i was thinking about heavy metal too or yep. uh, not the heavy metal movie but the heavy metal magazine which were always and i guess a lot of comic book too right like like different artists would take just just write a story and throw it into this magazine and yep they would publish it monthly and it would be you know Sometimes the stories would be similar or derivative, you know, but, but generally speaking, like, you know, you got a Mobius story and you got, you know, so-and-so story and the same thing with Mad Magazine, you would get little short, um, you know, vignettes that would happen. And that's kind of where Love, Death and Robots and Animatrix and this show is, it's sort of taking, you know, George Lucas's worlds and playing with them, right? Yeah, but I'm glad they're doing different styles. Like I, I had read a little bit yeah. of Star Wars manga over the years, and that was more in line with the second episode, which was a little more sort of a aimed at a younger audience, a little more cartoony style, mm-hmm. um, a little less of that sort of um, more mature take on on anime, mm-hmm. and I can't say that I loved it. It it always just felt a little puerile. Whereas the first episode, I don't know what your impressions are, guys, but I, I thought the first episode was really like it was quite beautiful and, and interesting. The art style, the, the way they chose to portray yeah. it, the the starkness, really the yeah. colors, really only been highlighting in the, the hand drawn pen and ink, yeah, kind of style. yeah, and then yeah. and then using the color really Black only in the lightsabers light. and stuff. Yeah. I, I I thought that was really quite an interesting art choice. Well, and also spoilers for people who haven't watched it. The 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 one character that you know, they think is a Jedi isn't a Jedi. Um, or maybe he's trained in that way, or he's got, you know, he's got a lot of midichlorians in his bloodstream or something. 
because that explains everything, right? But um, <laughs> he uh, he pulls out a, a Sith lightsaber, right? And you know, and then it looks like he's been collecting the the, the gems that make the Sith lightsabers work. Yeah, right? the kyber crystals. Yeah. Yeah. So he, you know, obviously every everybody in the story thinks he's a a Jedi until he pulls out his sword, and they're like, well, "What are you?" Right. Mm. So interesting sort of twist there. Yeah. I mean, I can, I have my theories, but you know. Yeah, I'll be curious uh, to see if this is something that they do again. If they, if this is sort of a one-off sort of little animation experiment, or if this is something that mm-hmm. they do as an anthology in, in different yeah, that's, ways. That's the style I was talking about. Anthology, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're our, our our biggest anime buff. What what was your take on what you saw so far? The first one was interesting because it uh, isn't like a lot of. Other anime, it does feel more like a Kurosawa film. It feels yeah. like Seven Samurai mm-hmm. yeah. style. Yeah. Uh, the second episode is, uh, I can't place which anime it would be, but it's definitely a, a more modern kind of kids-friendly one. So, you know, it's okay. I, I can see what they're going for there. Um, the twins, I liked. And this is the one I had noted from the trailer, seemed like a, a kill-to-kill reference. Very sort of extreme and over the top in people yelling at each other and doing wild action stuff. So I think you all will enjoy that one in a very different way from Duel. The Duel is very, very moody, very mm-hmm. uh, serious, dramatic. The Twins is a little bit more lighthearted and kind of poppy modern anime. So it's fun seeing all these different styles. So I'll, I'll be very curious to see what the rest of the uh, what remaining six episodes are like. Yeah. I would say as a concept, though, I, I am enjoying what I've seen so far just to explore something different, some some uncovered ground. OK, so here I, I teased you guys in, in our pre-show. I teased you guys with a question. So here's the one I'm going to throw to you. So when Disney purchased Lucasfilm, they took everything that had previously existed outside of the movies and Clone Wars and said everything else, comic books, books, games, everything, none of that was canon anymore. And then they have been cherry-picking things that they want. But what they said was, anything we produce from now on, whether it's a video game, it's a TV show, it's a comic book, it's a novel, is considered canon. Where does this fit in canon? (laughs) Yeah, that'd be really rough. To, to try to fit together in um, in canon, given the, the three different episodes that I saw. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'd like to see a statement from, from uh, Lucasfilm, please, because that well, hang on. So, is incongruous. So, let's, let's, so, so let's look at it this way. So are you saying, are you looking at the plots themselves don't fit into canon? Like, look, forget about the anima- animation. I don't think stuff. it's anything to do with the animation because they've already established the things that are animated are canon. We've seen that with Clone Wars. We've seen that with Rebels. We've yeah, seen yeah, that yeah. with no, Resistance. No, I, I don't mean that. I mean, so, so, because how I, how I interpret what, what we're seeing in, in an anthology season like this, series like this, is that here's a story about a Sith versus some sort of Jedi guy. Let's just say that, right? And this is how the people in that realm would tell that story. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to right? spin it. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, so it's kind of like, is it the Luke and Leia versus Darth Vader story? Not literally, but is it that kind of, imagine that story being told, like like the little kids in, in the the movie you guys hate, um, 
the second Star Wars one, I think, where they go to the the, the kids sweeping the floors, the the little slave kids. Oh yeah, and, well, Last yeah. Jedi that was actually the better of the most recent three, but still. But I, what I'm saying though is, like in that in that last in that scene where the kids, the one kid is retelling the story to the other kids, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. He's got he's basically telling a new hope to you know with little little straw dolls or whatever he's you know it's kind of like that's you know this is the language of this region and this is how they portray the story this is how the story is told in the same sense that you know like like japanese art is different than you know chinese art that's different than north american art that's different to parisian art right um there are you know in the history of art there have been convergences um in in styles but only sometimes through you know people traveling in and out of regions but you know, like you have Russian uh, abstract art evolved differently than Paris abstract art, but at some point they all become the same because they're abstract, right? Mm. If you if you saw an exhibition exhibition of abstract art from the you know tens and twenties and thirties of the of the nineteenth twentieth century, then you would see like to to the uneducated person it's all abstract, but you know to someone who's learned they would know which reason and, and even which artist produced that, that art and what influenced them. Right. So, um, even though they're all telling the same story. Yeah. I think one of the things you hit on is, is, is really interesting too. I think the one way to view this, if you were trying to canonize, this would be to say that these stories also could be over set over a huge swath of time, right? The first episode could be set, you know, a thousand years in the past, the second episode, not to spoil anything for you, Tim, but is it, it has some contemporary Star Wars characters in it, sure, so yeah. it's set within a time frame that we would at least be able to recognize. But yeah, that's a way to look at it too. Is that you know just because we're seeing the Star Wars universe doesn't mean it's set in the now, right? It's not, you know. And then you see Ray and Finn walk by, right? It it could be set any time, right? Yeah. Oh, you just ruined it for me. <laughs> I will say, and then again, uh, this is not a not a huge spoiler, but uh, I was impressed to see, and I, I, again, I haven't seen the third one, Jaime, so maybe you can uh, comment on this, but the mm-hmm. second episode actually has some pretty big name voice actors in it. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is one of the voices. Chimora Morrison, uh, Morrison, the guy who plays Boba Fett and Django Fett, is one of the voices. Uh, Bobby Moynihan from Saturday Night Live was one of the voices. Um, I, I honestly didn't expect that at all. That that there would be, you know, higher, high profile. I mean, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's a very prominent actor. I, I, I was interested to see that they had actually uh, gone that route. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't catch any of those. Well, okay, Timur Morrison, I did, but um, all the other uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, etc. I didn't. I didn't catch them. So mm-hmm. I did watch. The third one, if there were if there were people with uh, prominent voices, I didn't I didn't catch it. Well, now we'll have to check back in next week and see what else we spot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or we could just watch the credits. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. All right. Let's get to our watch list then. Then what do you guys got in the watch list? Yeah. I'll... Oh no. <laughs> fear, fear the story. Okay, go ahead. Tell me. I for the first time sat down and watched the trailers for. The Foundation series, based on the Asimov books, that's coming to Apple TV Plus uh, this week. And I must admit, 
I'm kind of intrigued. I know that this is just a setup for failure. I know that this is a fool's errand, that this is one of the most challenging things to adapt. I know that this is sacrosanct for a lot of Asimov and, and longtime sci-fi fans, particularly those over the age of 60, no offense. Uh, it's, it's a, a very important piece of sci-fi in the grand scheme of sci-fi. But I'll admit that, that, you know, some of what I saw, I certainly found intriguing. The visuals look top notch. The performances, there's a lot of, of actors that I recognize. Jared Harris seems to be one of the stars from uh, from Mad Men. Mm -hmm. I, I got to admit, I'm 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 inclined to check it out. I really am. And you, Tim, will yeah. you be checking it out? Oh, I'll be watching it. Yeah, I'll be watching it. Yeah, I'll have my microscope out and I'll be watching it. And I'll, I'll I'm, you know, again. Yeah, I should be just checking something on IMDb. Let's see here. Is it the voice cast for Star Wars Visions? Because I've got that up in front of me now. <laughs> yeah, no, I already did that. I already, I already went there, and now I'm looking at something else. Well, you, you, I'll vamp for you here. So I'm just looking at uh, different voices. So Simu Liu, Allison Brie, David Harbour, Lucy Liu, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, mm -hmm. uh, Karen Fukuhara, who's from The Boys, Henry Golding. Um, Bobby Moynihan we talked about, Kimiko Glenn, James Hong, the legendary James Hong, uh, Jamie Chung, Kyle Chandler. Um, yeah, this is a this is a pretty good cast. Now I'm even I was going to say that that Jared Jared Harris pays uh, Harry Seldon, who's the main character in the main character in the first book mm -hmm. and all the books. I mean, he's he's the guy who writes prehistory. If you, if you don't know what that is, then go back and read the books. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I ho hopefully this is just the f they're talking about the first book, which is called Foundation, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of a lot of things they could ru I mean ruin, or there's a lot of things they could tell in <laughs> in all of the stuff that at uh, Asimov wrote, right? So they could they could milk that free. They could I mean he did. I mean he started writing in the 50s and he ended up writing. I think he ended in the 2000s. He was still writing stuff, right? Yeah, I I, it, I think it'll be interesting to see how far they go down this road. If if this is sort of a has a, a beginning, middle, end. If they think this is going to be a foundational piece for for Disney Disney Plus, I keep wanting to call it Disney Plus, Apple TV Plus. If this is something that they see as you know, uh, well, for lack of a better term, a foundational piece where they can have, you know, years and years of this that people will come back and 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 want it in the same way that I think. That's what Amazon's trying to build its Lord of the Rings stuff. Each one of these sort of, you know, tentpole television franchises that that, that the uh, streaming services are trying to build. Mm -hmm. It certainly seems to have that potential. I mean, it looks very grand in the scope. It has a, a, a you know, top-notch cast. It seems like they didn't spare any money on the production. So can we talk about iRobot then? We can. So this character of Susan Calvin is like iRobot is in is originally a series of short stories that Asimov wrote over time right and he published you know in various magazines and they got compiled into a compendium called iRobot um and they were all you know they were written in different magazines and stuff like that and Susan Calvin and the three you know three laws of robotics were something that he developed you know over time and then they became overarching things and so she like the you know she's the character the female character in the the movie with um uh I can't remember his name now Will Smith Will yeah Smith <laughs> um, thank you but I mean you know and and 
that story, I mean, it was told like one of the short stories that Asimov would have written, but, you know, kind of way over the top with the Hollywood budget and stuff like that, right? But it w- it was told like one of the stories that, that is in, in the whole sort of robot canon stuff that, that, that um, Asimov wrote. And it was so far removed from the as the Asimov style of tor- storytelling that you know it be, it became very Hollywood, you know, and that's what worries me about this kind of this kind of storytelling. And and the same thing with Brave New World that they just did recently, um, it missed all the sort of main you know gravitas that the Brave New World story ha- book has. You know, um, they they basically they you know they sat there with a checklist and they went through all the plot points in in the stories, but it just didn't translate well to, you know, a TV show that, you know, that, that what was really going on in the book, you know, kind of thing. Right. So it, it, that's what worries me about what they're going to do with foundation. I think that, you know, it'll, it'll look spectacular. Right. And the cast is, will be wonderful and um, they will hit the plot points, but will they really have the same sort of like, you know, style? I'm worried about what, you know, the character that you guys have read the books, right? Not, not, I all not. Of them. I read I robot. Yeah. And I think I've read. Oh, Foundation. So you haven't read the the Foundation series, okay? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, it's kind of like watching Harry Potter, never having read any of the books. But um, like one of my favorite characters in in I mean, there's a couple of favorite characters that I have in in Asimov's world, but one of them is the a character called the Mule, who shows up in I think in the, the second Foundation book. Um, and the way you know, you know, the way he's introduced and the way he the, the characters evolve in that story are really interesting. And it's probably it's probably a style that's been done, but you know, when it was when I first read it written by Asimov and I think he wrote it in the fifties or sixties, you know, it was quite interesting uh the way it worked, right? And um they could you know, they could mess that up <laughs> really easily. Right? Yeah. So I don't want to give any I don't want to give spoilers away and and we'll see if they even I don't. Th- I hopefully in these first ten episodes they're not going to get there. I, I assume that they're doing multiple seasons, right? Yeah, it says here season one ten ten episodes. So yeah, interesting to see. But yeah, and then, you know, like Heinlein stories have been turned into into movies too, and some of them are pretty good, and some of them are pretty bad. You know, um, like Puppet Masters was a great story, but it you know it was it was a movie. I think it was a movie with Donald Sutherland, if I'm not mistaken. But um, yeah, it was the movie was okay. You know. It wasn't it wasn't as great as the story, so I don't know. That's the, I guess that's the thing. That's the difference between most novelizations and or novels that get turned into movies. They don't quite. You know, it's hard. I guess it's hard to take that whole world and put it into you know an hour or two. What do you got for us, Jaime? I think a little bit more lighthearted. Um, somebody that has taken cool. all seven seasons intro credits for Star Trek: The Next Generation and synced them up into one video, and it's. Surprising how different they are in lengths. You can just watch it you know, less than two minutes, and uh, they they start off um, a little behind. Especially season one. Season one is like the weirdest one. Uh, season two matches up with it a little bit. They sort of tinker with when exactly do certain things occur, and then sort of shocking to me is that season one is the longest of all of the the intros. If you'd asked me, uh, do they differ at all? I would have told you no. And I've seen this like a million times. It was kind of kind of interesting to see. Hmm. Yeah, I'm watching it now with the sound up. But yeah, it's it is totally totally different. But it's kind of like we notice a difference in in the um, lower decks. You know, the first, last season, this season is completely different, right? 
the same same story gets told in in the sequences, but the you know they went back and they got more CGI budget for them or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> animated CGI budget that is. Yeah, and then the the way that the uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation logo comes in, the sort of weird outlier is season five that has the uh, like the kind of more TOS style uh, str- uh, streams. Streamers. I wonder if it lines up with out. when the movie was out. Like, because remember, they because they, they had the they were doing the um, original series cast movies at the same time, right? I was kind of wondering whether we'd probably have to look at the the timing, but it did have that, that sort of feel to it. That that mm-hmm. seasons, uh, you know, all other seasons except five have the the same you know font and everything. Um, uh, not plain, but plainer than the much more. Um, gussied up version for season five i wonder wonder why they changed that i wonder why they changed away from it it's a mystery that will never be known <laughs> well, i'm sure it's written in a book somewhere cool i guess that's it for another week so hey uh hi mate if people want to get in touch with you where they find you i'm on twitter is at dev with the hair all right and jonathan people want to get in touch with you i'm on twitter and instagram as at jpk news all right, as usual, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. On the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. Until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 <laughs> You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. This is John Luke Picard. Shut up, Wesley. Sorry, say again. Just the tag. Gotcha. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at SpotCast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at Patreon.com slash SpotCast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, SpotCast.com slash SponsorUs. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Super sexy version of Spotcast. Dear sexy goodbyes. It just you know how it flips over to another another movie after after you watch the first one. Mm-hmm. It just it gives you a recommendation. Kind of goes to autoplay. YouTube thing. Yeah, yeah. All the Star Wars television show intros. So, which is now we've we've just proven that it's wrong because there were like seven seasons and seven different ones, right? Have they done the same thing with Voyager and and uh, Deep Space Nine and? Yeah, so I I do know that the TNG ones change a bit because um, you have Tasha Yar, or, sorry, uh, Denise Crosby leaving. You have uh, Kate McFadden being there, leaving, coming back. Um, you know, other cast changes. Voyager would presumably have um, oh, Jennifer Neely. I forget Kess's real name. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, they'd have Kess's actress leave, and then you'd have Jerry Ryan come in as Seven of Nine. There was a crossover though, because I watched. I just watched the episode where um, they used the Borg technology to fight off some some people, and Seven is still a Borg.
Maybe I've seen that episode. Uh, which one is it? Because there was the, the, oh, and I looked it up, Jennifer Leon for, for Kess. Um, so Kess is sitting in the chair and she's got long hair. So it's near the end of her tenure on the show, right? Um, and Seven is helping them. And then, you know, at the end of it, she says, you'll be assimilated and whatever. Resistance. Oh, is, is it part of the Scorpion ones with uh, when they fight the Borg and uh, Species 8472? Yeah, I don't know who they're fighting, but they, they use Borg technology to... She opens up a singularity or something like that, and they fly through it. And... The transwarp conduits? Yeah, yeah. And then then uh, Chakotay's reminding her that she was a young girl named Monica and all that kind of stuff, right? But she's, she's still got all the implants in her face and, you know, yep. Anywho, whatever, whatever, whatever. All right, is that it? I think, you so. think so. All right. Talk to you guys later. Talk to you later. All right. Okay, Have a good week, guys. Yep. Yeah, bye. bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.